So we're going to carry on our series looking at hunger. And um, I want to encourage us, stroke challenge us, um, that this kind of, this is a teaching series. This is something we're looking at over the last few months for a certain period of time. But, but the things that we're looking at and the things that God's kind of calling us to and requiring from us is not a seasonal thing. Like, and I kind of my, my heart is to make sure that this isn't a, a flash in the pan, that we kind of feel like we need to get hungry for God for a little bit and then we can kind of go back to meandering on our way. Like that's, that's not it and that's, that's not good enough. There's more for us and there needs to be more from us. Um, and so I want to kind of... I, Yes, I want to unapologetically kind of charge us with that this morning, that this isn't just going to be a, a seasonal flash in the pan, that actually we're to be a church and we're to be individuals whose whole walk, whole of our lives is, um, is to be marked by pursuing the more of God, actually to be hungry consistently and wholeheartedly. Um, and so in my eyes, you know, I want to finish stronger than I started. Like I don't want to kind of, I don't want, I don't want that stuff to fizzle out. Like I want to be in my, you know, determined I'm living till 100 and I, like, I want to finish strong and I want to be hungrier then than I am now. So it needs to be an ongoing thing and that's what I want to look at this morning. Um, I'm just mindful. If you're here and you're on Elements, um, you may probably have gone, you probably know that. If you're not, if anyone is on Elements and they haven't gone, bless you, have an amazing morning. Um, San and Chloe will meet you at the back. Um, great. So I want to, so I guess as well, I'm, I'm quite practical, quite logical and um, I don't do well with just lots of concepts. Like at the end of any, you know, I'm happy to talk about philosophical things I'm happy to about, talk about big ideas but like at the end of it I'm always going to land on well, what do you need me to do like, like what do you like I always want to know the out I want to know when the rubber hits the road what does that look like and um, and so you know the danger in church is always that we talk concept without kind of actually it being outworked you know so when Mark's challenging us last week and it says in James don't just be hearers of the word like do what it says like there has to be an out and um I want to encourage you if you weren't here last week um it's always good to kind of listen to the podcast. It's always good to track with where God's speaking to us. But particularly, last week's message is really, really important. And I, I want for you to listen to it if you weren't here. So Mark was talking about actually needing to be intentional. If we want to, there's a charge in Timothy to stir up the flame that is in us, the divine spark that is in every single one of us, we need to stir that up. And we need to be intentional about it. And so he looked at four things. He looked at being filled with the Holy Spirit, going after the Word of God, um, remembering the prophetic words that God's spoken over us and being around people who encourage and sharpen you um, to be intentional. And that, those things are so important. So if you weren't here last week, please do listen to that. Um, and if you were here, like, what are you doing with that? Like, what are you doing with those things to be intentional? Because being intentional is going to be an absolute key in, in getting hungry, but remaining hungry. And what I want is for us to have a sustained hunger um, and so I want to look this morning what I think is another important key in, uh, in sustained hunger, and that's humility. Um, next couple of weeks, we've got two guest speakers. So Banning's here next week. Jimmy and Gina are here from Mexico the week after. Both going to be amazing. Please don't miss it. Sam's going to be speaking the week after that, and he's going to look at another key in, in this sustained hunger. He's going to be looking at discipline. And I think these three keys are really important. Keys to sustained hunger that's not just a flash in the pan, that's not kind of dictated to according to what's going on in life or what worship song's being played. Or It's not. It's a sustained hunger. So three things. To be intentional, to stay humble, and to live with discipline. Really, really important keys that I want for us to get hold of. So Sam's going to look at discipline in a couple of weeks. But I want to look this morning at humility. Um, and I am convinced that there is a very important link between hunger and humility and staying humble. So I'm going to pray. And then if you've got your Bibles, I'm going to jump into Micah 
chapter 6, verse 8, to start off with. So, Father, I want to thank you um, that you're with us. Thank you, God, even just for that truth that we've sung over ourselves this morning, that nothing can separate us, that you are with us, that you have brought us into new life, and we thank you for that. Um, so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd come and do what only you can do and make, um, yeah, just sharpen your word. God, speak to us, challenge us, change us, convict us, encourage us, inspire us, do whatever we need um, to be more like Jesus. But we ask, God, that you would help us to be a humble people and a hungry people. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so Micah chapter 6 verse 8 says this, He's told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. It's a really well-known verse in terms of saying, listen, it's kind of pretty simple. It's, it's kind of God's put it out there that actually what he requires of us, what is good is that we do justice, we love kindness, but we walk humbly with our God. And I think that's a really interesting question. Like, actually, what does it look like for me to walk humbly with God? Um, and how does that relate to hunger? Because I'm convinced it does. Um, so that, that's really what I want to get to. Actually, how do we walk humbly with God in a way that brings us into sustained hunger? Because I think, um, I think humility is part of that. You know, hunger, physical hunger, is, it's a kind of an easier thing, um, I guess, for us to understand than maybe hunger for God. You know, a physical hunger happens um, to highlight a need that we have. It's pretty obvious, isn't it? So a need that's either unmet or not completely met is, so I am physically hungry because I need food. So it's, it's an easier one to understand, and it's, you know, it's, a, it's probably not as easy a one to ignore. Like, if we're really, really hungry, like, it, it's, we, it, it's distracting. It kind of takes our attention, and it makes us do something about it. But it, it highlights, physical hunger highlights a physical need that we have for food, um, so a key component in us being a people who are hungry for God has to be that recognition of need. And I, I mean, and that's so blindingly obvious, but honestly, I think we kind of, we gloss over it and we miss it and we can get um, so distracted by other things and we can get really self-reliant on ourselves and actually recognizing, um, listen, being hungry for God isn't just because that's what we're talking about as a church family and it's a good thing to do. Like, when it all boils down to it, underneath everything is actually our hunger for God is directly coming out of the fact that we absolutely are in need of him. And I know that's obvious, but it's really important. And actually, so being you know, in a season of sustained hunger means I have to consistently recognize my need of God in all things, in every situation, in every life stage. Um, actually, I need him. And that is, a, that is a massively important part of humility. Humility that says, I have not got this. I'm entirely in need and dependent on the Lord. It's, it's humility. It's important. Jeremiah 29, 13 says this. This is the amplified version. It says this, Then with a deep longing you will seek me and require me as a vital necessity, and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. It's like a prophetic promise, um, Actually, he's basically saying, actually, when you seek me, you'll find me, when you seek me with all of your heart. Actually, with a hunger, with a requirement. But it's that actually that we seek him as a vital necessity, recognizing our complete need from him. It's not, it's not seek him as an option, you know, as, a, as an upgrade, as a, in a backstop when things get difficult. But actually, my seeking God, my cultivating hunger for him is because he is the only way. It's not like it's not, it's not an optional. He is the only way, and I am entirely dependent on him and in complete need of him every single day of my life. Um, 
And the promise is that actually when we seek him like that, with that view, recognizing our complete need and his complete ability to fulfill him, when we seek him in that way, his promise is that we'll find him. But it takes humility to do that. It takes, um, for us to recognize our need of him requires humility. And it's what the Bible talks about when it talks about being poor in spirit. Um, and actually how we, you know, what, what is being poor in spirit? And I want to kind of look at that a little bit now. Um, so the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' most famous sermon, um, so Matthew chapters 5, 6, 7, starts with the Beatitudes, these lists of blessings, blessed are them. The first one says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. One translation says, blessed are those who recognize their need of God, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Listen, that is a start-off point for ev- any one of us to kind of become a Christian, to get saved, to come into the kingdom of God, to be you know, brought home and be part of God's family, has to start with recognizing our need. I actually, it, it makes no sense to have a savior if I don't recognize that I have a huge need of being saved. And that's, that's a massive problem, I think, in the Western world because people don't recognize they need saving from anything. So presenting a savior seems irrelevant, which is why, you know, I remember talking with friends at work um, when I was still working in the hospital and, and talking about um, being a Christian and, and inviting them to an alpha course. And, and I remember as we, I'm walking off with one of my other friends and, and hearing a couple of them saying, well, it kind of sounds interesting, but, you know, I'd, I'd rather keep doing my German class. You know, I think they genuinely thought it was like, you know, church was a, was a hobby in the same way that golf or yoga or meditation or cricket or anything else was. It's kind of like, it's great for you. That's lovely that you found that that's an option for you. But without that recognition of need, recognition of being poor in spirit, bankrupt, you know, dead in our sins, if that isn't there, then Jesus as a savior makes no sense. Um, so that has to be the way into the kingdom for all of us. It's the only way into the kingdom is accepting I have enormous need, complete need, and Jesus is the only one who can meet that need. And so I embrace what he's done to, to meet that need in me. It's the only way in. John Wimber, who um, totally, we were a vineyard church back in the day. We planted a vineyard church 28 years ago. So John Wimber started the vineyard movement, amazing kind of father to the body of Christ and to us as a church family. He had this amazing phrase where he talked about the way in is the way on. And so often we kind of think, you know, we get, we get into the kingdom and then after that we kind of, we do our own thing or we sort it out ourselves or anything like that. And it's, it's not it. Listen, the way into the kingdom is recognizing my need of God. The way into the kingdom is to be the poor in spirit. The way on in the kingdom is just the same. We have to remain poor in spirit. We have to remain recognizing our need of God. I'm still just as much in need of Jesus as I was back then. Listen, and it's, it's so easy to kind of to misunderstand that because I am not saying I am still a miserable sinner crawling around on my knees separated from God. I'm not. Like, I'm entirely not separated from God. I, you know, I am absolutely washed clean and made new because of what Jesus has done. So it's not that we kind of every day we start back as a miserable sinner and we need saving again. Like, that, that's not it. Um, but I am still as much as need of him. So now as a reconciled, redeemed daughter of God, accepted by him, positioned in him, being given the keys of the kingdom, all that stuff is true, that is ours, but I am still poor in spirit. And completely in need of him. And it, it's kind of tr- almost tricky tensions. And I'm probably going to, uh, probably going to pose as many questions as I have answers today. Apologies for that. But it's, like, it's these tensions we've got to work out because I'm, I am acutely aware that, that self-reliance, 
complacency, familiarity are absolutely dangerous enemies to the Western church and to us. Like they really are. I'm, we have to be on our guard against those things because for so many of us, in so many ways, actually our poverty of spirit is, is covered up because do you know what? I have got some money in the bank. I can feed my kids. Uh, you know, I have got, you know, uh, my mental health is okay at the moment. I, like there's so many things where we can, these things are lining up, therefore I'm okay. I'm not, you know, it's not so bad. Um, and because we're so rich in resource, you know, we, to be able to meet freely and worship the Lord is amazing. To have the kind of, the people leading us in worship that we have, we're so blessed. You know, actually to, to have what we have in the, the Western church in terms of the resource, in terms of, you know, teaching and the stuff that we can access on the internet and books, like we are the richest, richest we've ever been. And yet we have to guard against complacency and familiarity. Well, I can just swan into church. I can just swan into God's presence. It doesn't really matter what I've done this week. And it doesn't really, like it, that's not okay. And I, like, I'm, I'm really cautious. I, I don't want to go into a sort of, you know, browbeating, you know, we're miserable, unworthy. Like, that's not it. But if we're in any way falling into that complacent, entitled, doesn't matter, that'll do, it's not good enough. And honestly, that stuff is, is it risks being a cancer in the Western church. And I'm so determined for us not to go there and not to be that. But I don't want us to go the other way. See what I'm saying? And, and so actually keeping us well away from that sort of complacent familiarity, the way to guard against that is to remain poor in spirit, to remain humble and to be persistently hungry for God. Walking humbly with God is, is about me being continually hungry for him because I recognize my absolute dependence on him, my complete need of him. And there are, like, they are difficult tensions to navigate because I'm saying, actually, okay, we, I need to remain. I need to stay poor in spirit, but I absolutely need to war against having a poverty mindset. Like, I really need to. How, you know, how, do, how does that work out? You know, actually, because I'm not an orphan, and so I need to not have orphan thinking. I need to expect abundance and amazing things, but I, but I have to remain every day poor in spirit. So it's avoiding those pitfalls of entitlement, which I see creeping into the Western church, and it, it, it really grates with me. It's not okay. Um, you know, presumption, compromise on the one hand. We've got to war against that, but we absolutely need to war against being orphan-hearted and living defeated lives on the other extreme. Like neither one of those things is the kingdom. And so we have to guard against them. So these, these are things I'm just going to invite you into my head. These things I've been mulling over and thinking and praying over the last, well, particularly last few weeks, but probably more, longer than that. So we're called to live in simple rest and faith. It says in Psalm 116, he guards those with childlike faith. Like we're called just to rest and trust that we have a good God who, before I even utter it, he knows what I need. Like We have to have that kind of simple faith, yeah? We're called to it. That actually, I entirely trust that God's going to provide. I entirely trust that he loves me, that he wants me to come into his presence, that he's going he's gonna to do what he says he's going to do, that he is going to provide for me. But we need to be careful that simple childlike faith, resting on a good father that we don't let that slide into actually what I would call presumption, that is actually, I can sit on my backside and everything God wants and promised me is going to drop into my lap with no effort, commitment, sacrifice, prayer, contending for on my part. Like, that's presumption. That's actually not faith. That's, it requires nothing of me. God will just do it. Like, and we're not to be 
presumptuous, but we're to rest in childlike faith. And I, like I know I'm, these are kind of tricky tensions. Like, what, how do we navigate that? What does that look like? You know, link that to so Project Home, a season of giving. I absolutely trust, and I, you know, trust that God has promised he's going to provide that for us. He has spoken consistently over years that he's got it. And so I need to have absolute faith in that. And no, I don't have to, Phil and I don't have to stress and strain and make it happen and kind of browbeat you lot into giving. Like, that's not where I want to end up. But actually, to say, well, God's promised it, so it'll happen. I don't need to give. I don't really need to pray. I don't really need to fast. I don't need to really declare and stand on those promises. He's, God said it, so it'll sort itself. Can you see the tension between resting in faith on one hand, but actually presumption on the other? And in the middle of what keeps us, keeps us healthy in that is to be that poor in spirit. God, we're totally dependent on you, but we're absolutely committed to partnering in, with you to see what you promise fulfilled. It comes in with grace. I've talked on grace loads. I'm not going to go to, um, I'm not going to go through it again. But listen, we are saved by grace. You know, actually, entirely unearned, completely undeserved, and we can never earn or deserve what God's given us. I'm accepted and cherished, not on the basis of what I have done and what I haven't done, but purely based on the work of the cross. And it's enough. It's sufficient. But actually, it's so easy to slip into that entitlement, which is, well, because it's all grace, you know, I don't get into the kingdom because I've never sinned. Therefore, it doesn't really matter how I live my life. And it's like, it's not good enough. And so when Sam's going to look at discipline, it's like, actually, it's important. It really matters. That entitlement attitude of, it doesn't really matter what I do and how I live and how I speak and what I watch and how I spend my money. It doesn't really matter because there's grace. We live in a grace culture. Like, and I, like I'm always going to preach grace. And actually, you know, you look in the Bible... Grace is offensive, it's so lavish. Grace really offends the religious, if you look in the Bible. Like it is, it's outrageous. You know, grace makes the bar impossibly low for us. It means that, you know, a convicted criminal on a cross next to Jesus can literally say, Jesus, remember me, and that's enough. No owning what he'd done that we're aware of, no making things right, no anything, just Jesus, remember me. And he's it. Like it's grace is offensive. It's so enormous, but entitlement that abuses and takes for granted what it cost Jesus to establish us in that grace, that is offensive, and that does creep into the Western Church. And I want for us to guard against that, just really vigilantly. It's not good enough. Do you know what? Your language matters. How you spend your money matters. You know, how you treat people matters. How we live our lives matters. Jesus died to have a pure and spotless bride. And for us to tolerate spots and blemishes in us because they don't matter isn't good enough. Now listen, are we all works in progress? Absolutely. Am I condemned? Absolutely not. There's no condemnation at all for any of us in the kingdom. But there is no place for a complacent entitlement that means, meh, it doesn't really matter. It does. It really matters. And what keeps us grounded and healthy in the, in the middle is that reminder to ourselves, I am totally dependent on him. I am poor in spirit. And Jesus, I need you as much today as when I first became a Christian. In fact, actually more so. Staying hungry. So being healthily poor in spirit requires me to hold fast to two things. Apart from him, I can do nothing. But in Christ Jesus, I can do all things. And you think, are those contradictory? No, they're not. They're beautiful tensions that we need to work out. So it's John 15, verse 5, when Jesus is saying, I'm the vine, you're the branches. 
Whoever abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. So when we read things like in Revelation 3, the, you know, that challenging letter that we looked at a few weeks ago to the church in Laodicea, saying you know, that actually you don't recognize that you're naked and blind and poor, like, we have to remind ourselves that's absolutely me outside of Jesus. I am spiritually bankrupt, naked, blind, poor, the works. That's me outside of Jesus. But Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So it's standing firm, abiding in Jesus. That's what he says. If you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. Outside of me, you can't do anything. You know, I'm like, do you know what? I can't make my marriage work. I can't manage my budget. I can't sustain friendships. I, I can't do things outside of and apart from Jesus. That doesn't mean I'm passive and I don't make an effort and I don't work. Of course we do. But we have to navigate these tensions. And we do that by walking humbly with God, constantly aware of and confessing, God, I need you but you promised to fulfill your word to me. God, I need you, but you said, you know, the kingdom's in my hands. God, I need you all the time. And it keeps us from self-reliance that is kind of, I've got this. I can do this. I'm, I'm doing okay. Um, but equally, it keeps us from, you know, the opposite extreme, which is just as ugly that says I'm useless and hopeless and can't do anything. Like, that's orphan thinking. That's not you in the kingdom. Actually, we need to agree with who God says we are, mindful of who we were, Enemies of God, separated from him, dead in our sin. Like, it's, it was bleak. That's where we were. That's who we were. And being absolutely mindful of what it costs to take us from that place into that position of being sons and daughters. Um, and in that process, just maintaining and being entirely reliant on him. So walking humbly with God is not denying our high position as sons and daughters. It's not denying or hiding or apologizing for or diminishing in any way the dignity and the worth and the significance on your life. Like that's, that's not humility, but it's being mindful of the price, the price that was paid to get us there and living our whole lives as sacrifice, our whole lives as worship to the one who paid everything to position us there. So like don't apologize for who God's called you to be. Don't apologize for what's in you. Don't keep that hidden. It's wrong. It is a wrong understanding of humility to deny who God says you are. And, and we have to, like, that's a British thing. We're, like, we're good at apologizing about ourselves, for ourselves, because our stake's not right. We are good at apologizing. We're not so good at celebrating and, and championing greatness and significance and value and it's like do you know what there's some stuff that is slightly our, our British norm that's not kingdom and we need to guard against that it's a wrong understanding of humility to deny who God says you are and to deny what God's placed in you that's not humility but it is about um, being poor in spirit but poor in spirit is not self-condemnation it's not self-doubt it's not criticism it's about constant recognition of the fact that, you know what, this is all grace. It's all grace. Um, uh, but it's given so that I learn to serve him and stay dependent on and reliant on him. And so humility is about me being continually aware of my need for God. And as I do that, you know, the more aware I am of how much I need him, that always causes a hunger in me because I'm like, God, I need to have more of you because I'm so aware of my need and that I can't do this without you, that I'm hungry for more of you. That's, that's why humility is a, is a vital part in us being hungry. It has to start with humility and being poor in spirit. 
because it is about the awareness of need, and that's key for coming into the kingdom. And, you know, if you look in the Gospels, you look in the Bible at, um, you know, some of the people who met with Jesus, who encountered the kingdom. You think about Zacchaeus and the tax collector. You think about the woman caught in adultery, um, the woman of ill repute, the prostitute, the thief on the cross. They were all too aware of their spiritual need and, and were therefore, I guess, maybe... It wasn't a big step for them to become the poor in spirit and to embrace, Jesus, I need you. Like their spiritual poverty, um, they were all too aware of that. You compare that with the Pharisees um, and their total spiritual pride, self-reliance. You know, they were blind to their spiritual need. They were blind to their spiritual poverty and therefore they were blinded to actually the kingdom. They were blinded to being able to recognize who Jesus was because they were so blinded by their pride and self-reliance. And so there was, there was no way into the kingdom for them. You know, one of the great values, I think, of challenging seasons in life um, is they create opportunities for us to be reminded of and refocus on being poor in spirit, being a people who are entirely in need of God. Um, you know, I've shared my testimony a lot of times, I'm not going to, but, you know, actually having gone through seasons of really quite significant insomnia and anxiety and panic attacks and, and that whole period of life, which was, was hideous, you know, it really was tormenting when I was in the middle of it. Genuinely, I'm thankful for it now. Listen, I, like, I am not saying God said, sends hard things our way to teach us a lesson, like, Theologically, that is not what I'm saying at all. God didn't give me insomnia to teach me a lesson. Absolutely not. But did in his kindness and his grace, he had sustained me through that season to highlight to me my high self-reliance. You know, if there was anything that he was putting his finger on in that whole season, it was, you know, self-reliance and living according to my strength and not his. Um, so I'm thankful for it now because actually it was a, and the way out was this, I suppose the being revealed to me again and being embracing again, actually my spiritual poverty. God, I really need you. I've totally been trying to do this on my own. It is not working out well for me. I need you. And it's in his kindness, the Bible says, that he leads us to repentance. So I had to repent of self-reliance and perfectionism and pride and all the other things that had kind of been caught up in why things started to unravel. Actually, guys, the only way past those things is repentance. When we find ourselves complacent or being presumptuous or falling into entitlement or compromise in how we're living, the only way out and through those things is repentance. But listen... It's his kindness that leads us to repentance because in his kindness, he wants for you and I to have the kingdom. And on the other side of repentance, he's more of the kingdom. But the only way through it is on our knees. And it requires humility. It requires a humble heart to say, God, I've missed it. God, I'm not where I should be. God, I'm compromising in this. I'm sorry. The other side of repentance, there's more of the kingdom. And God in his kindness wants to, it says it's his good pleasure, little flock, little children. It's the father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And because he wants that, but he knows the only way to get there is to repent of those things that are holding us back. So we should never, ever, ever feel embarrassed about or fearful of or reluctant to repent. Because the other side of repentance is awesome. But yes, it takes a moment on my knees to get there. But we have to be willing to do that. The kingdom is freely available to us, but we have to be the poor in spirit to enter it. 
and to receive the more that he has for us. Now listen, I don't think that we have to be in sin or in crisis or um, in order to be the poor in spirit. Like, I'm, that's not what I'm saying. I think sometimes in those seasons it makes our spiritual poverty is kind of all too apparent. But I don't think, I'm not, it's absolutely possible, and this is where I want us to aim for, it is absolutely to be secure in our identity in the Lord, to be, do you know what, thriving in life, to be, you know, have a successful marriage, to be experiencing the abundance of the kingdom, but maintaining being the poor in spirit. It's absolutely possible to do that, and that's where I want for us to get to. So if you look at... Um, Look at David. You look through the Psalms. So many times in the Psalms, David talks about, um, God, I'm poor and needy. God, you're my refuge. You're my strength. You're, all the time, all the time, he's expressing his need of God, his trust in God, his reliance on God, all the time. Now, sometimes David was writing the Psalms absolutely kind of hiding in a cave because someone was out to kill him. Like Sometimes, definitely, he was in a point of crisis. But, off, but like some of his Psalms weren't. There are times when he was in a palace, when he was king, when he'd arrived, but he maintained this, God, I need you. David, and I can't help wondering, you know, the Bible talks about David as a man after God's own heart, and I can't help feeling like David's persistent awareness of being poor in spirit and therefore hungry for God, that that's what marked him out, and that's what God wants for us, to maintain that need of God and therefore hunger for him. So, he, he managed somehow with some major mess-ups on the way. Like he completely screwed up multiple times. But this was this common thread. You look at David's life from, you know, the field as a little boy, as a shepherd, through to the battle, into caves, but even then to the palace. He maintained this poverty of spirit, which is a beautiful thing. And his son as well, Solomon. So, you know, Solomon was born into significance and provision and wealth and status and all the rest of it. Like, he, he was born in the palace, born to be king. Um, but there's this amazing bit in 1 Kings 3 where um, God comes to him in a dream and says, ask me for what you want. Ask me for what you need. There's this amazing bit where, so this is Solomon who's, if there's anyone on the planet right then who could said, I am the man, like, I've got this, I'm good, it would have been him. But he says this, he says, I'm, he says You've, I'm only a little child. I do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant here among the people you have chosen, a great people too numerous to count or number. He displays this amazing poverty of spirit. He's essentially saying, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to do this thing that you've created me to do. He's expressing help. He's expressing poverty of spirit, which is amazing. Paul, again, 2 Corinthians 3 I love this verse. He says, not that we are sufficient. Other translations say competent. Other translations say adequate. Not that we are sufficient, competent, adequate in ourselves to claim anything is coming for us, but our sufficiency is from God. Paul maintained this awareness. I am the poor in spirit. And it was the way into the kingdom, but it's the way on for all of us as well. You know, but Paul is, you know, Paul is the same man who wrote in Romans 8 that actually we are co-heirs with Jesus, that we will share in his glory if we will share in his suffering. So he, like he didn't have a poverty mindset, but he was aware, I am entirely incompetent and insufficient in and of myself. Like that's a healthy poverty of spirit. But on the same hand, he knew, I'm a co-heir with Christ. I'm seated with him in heavenly places, and yet I'm completely insufficient other than what comes from him. That's where we need to get to, folks, and that was what's going to keep us healthily humble and healthily hungry for the Lord. So it's easy to recognize I'm poor in spirit when 
stuff's hard, when there's crisis, when things go wrong, when our vulnerabilities are all too apparent. It's, it's easier then. But it's absolutely possible, and I want for us to kind of fight to be a people who remain poor in spirit in any life stage, age, circumstance. And that would create a hunger that is going to go the distance. But it's, it's tricky tensions, you know. So, you know, we're supposed to... It's how do I remain childlike as I become mature, measuring up to the fullness of Jesus? What's that look like? You know, how do I stay hungry when he's promised to lay a banqueting table before me? How do I stay hungry when there's so, I'm so aware I'm so rich? You know, how do I? And this is the journey. And this is where um, a humble hunger for God is going to keep us in a really good place, is that we would be able to maintain being poor in spirit as I steward the glorious riches of inheritance in Christ Jesus. Because don't deny your inheritance, but remain poor in spirit. Don't deny your high position in the Lord, but we're willing to go low and serve. Like it's, it, That's the tension, working out these beautiful tensions, and that is life in the spirit. That's why we have to lean into the Holy Spirit and say, God, what does that look like for me? How do I remain poor in spirit and yet absolutely do we kill a job at stewarding this amazing inheritance you've given me? While I say, actually, I'm rich. I'm so rich. But that requires humility and hunger. And, and that's why I want to link it to actually those four things specifically that Mark was saying. Listen, we need to be intentional about these things. Because listen, any of those four things, any of the things that Sam will call us to in terms of being a disciplined people, living a disciplined life, any of those things that we're called to, if we don't have at the center of our being that recognition of need for God, reliance on him, awareness of what he paid in order for us to be in this amazingly privileged position, then being called to get into the word of God, you know, to steward your finances well. You know, Mark talked about that last week. It's a good reflection of where we're at with the Lord. Is What are you doing with your finances? Honestly, it's a concern to me that in the Western church right now, actually, huge numbers of people just think tithing's not for them. It's not really... like It's a good reflection where we're at with the Lord. But listen, any of those Christian disciplines without a poverty of spirit can absolutely just become religious duty. You know, and this is, welcome to Phil and I's world. We are absolutely determined not to be in any way kind of controlling and manipulative and do the right thing because it's the, like, I can't make any one of you. It, I have enough work on my hands, me living the Christian life. I can't take on yours as well. I can't. And leadership is not about berating you into doing it. But actually, any of those things, to be intentional over, they can totally become just habits, you know, lifeless duties. But, but if we have that recognition of our need for God, that hunger for him because we recognize, I am poor in spirit without you, Jesus, then actually that is a beautiful way to cultivate that hunger. So, so God, I need to get into your word because it's life to me, because it's a lamp to my feet and I have no idea where I'm going. So I need to know your word. Actually, being intentional with those very practical spiritual disciplines is an important way of staying hungry. But we, can you, does that make sense to you? Actually, if we don't have that recognition of our need for God, then those things can absolutely be pretty lifeless. But it's another thing that we have to guard against in the kind of 
I suppose, current climate and culture, actually, that absolutely we live in a season of grace. It's all grace and not requirement and not religion. But actually, we need to understand that there's a massively important place for discipline and Christian disciplines. It's not religion. Actually, it's life-giving, but it requires discipline from us. And so, but with that, absolutely, that core need for, God, I need you, with that need recognized and confessed, then those things, you know, getting on our knees and praying consistently, you know, getting into the word of God, actually committing to relationships where you allow people to look you in the white of the eyes and say, tell me how you're doing. How is your marriage? How are you doing with your finances? What is stuff like in your social life? Allowing people to get up close and personal to you to ask those questions. Because I recognize, apart from Jesus, I can do nothing. But he's promised great things for me and through me. And so I want to take responsibility to do whatever it takes to have things in place so that I'm going to walk in the fullness. But it requires a poverty of spirit to get there. Does that make sense? But please, I want to stress, absolutely war against that orphan spirit. You're not worthless, useless, hopeless. You're a beloved child of God with a phenomenal inheritance. But you are absolutely dependent on the Lord every single day of your life. That's where we live. That's where we go. And so, you know, even in this whole series, you know, this um, is a prophetic word that we had, you know, God saying he wants to give us two gifts, the gift of hunger and the gift of faith for salvation. And I think God is giving us this gift of hunger because it encourages us and it inspires us to remain humble. It keeps our need of God front and center and so enables us to just to lean in again and say, God, I am entirely dependent on you for all things, in all seasons, in every way. And so to remain hungry, we have to, we've got to steward this gift well, this gift of hunger. Um, and do you know what? It's going to require each of us individually to stay humble and to live consistently and constantly poor in spirit. And I want to encourage you to, um, to ask the Lord, like, what does that look like for me? And knowing all of it, you know, even when it's stuff where the Holy Spirit's like, you know what, Sarah, this bit needs changing. Never be fearful of repentance. So much of the kingdom, the other side of repentance. So embrace it. It's a good thing. But I want to, st- I, I think it is a question of God, show me any place where I am more reliant on myself than I am you, where I am trusting in my ability to provide rather than yours. Show me, God, if there's any way where I'm I'm compromising, I'm letting things slide, and I'm living anything less than a absolutely dedicated, set-apart, consecrated life for you because anything less than that isn't good enough. And it's not that we berate ourselves for it because there is no condemnation, but there is absolutely conviction of the Holy Spirit and calling us to higher ways and to better things. So why don't you stand? I'd love for us to pray um, for one another. I think I've been more acutely aware this week and even this morning of actually, you know, we're so reliant on the Holy Spirit. I I can't convince anybody, and neither do I want to, and neither should I convince anybody to change. But actually, we're so reliant on the Holy Spirit to say, God... Come and show me. Come and show me my blind spots. Um, and I just want to encourage you, each of you individually, just to even just take a, t- take a moment. Let's take some time to say, God, and this, maybe this feels like a scary prayer, but honestly, I would ask that he would reveal to me again actually how much I need him. Like I want his Holy Spirit to help me to keep being that poor in spirit, keep recognizing my need of him. Not to discourage me or to disqualify me or to push me down, but actually because it, it positions me again to be hungry, to be leaning on, to be dependent on him again. So Holy Spirit, we just invite you 
And God, our confession is that we need you. Jesus, we recognize that in and of ourselves, there was no way we could make ourselves right with you. In and of ourselves, God, we've not got it. God, we're not competent or qualified or adequate in and of ourselves, and we gladly recognize that. But Jesus, we recognize that what you did for us is more than enough. Jesus, thank you that we are saved by grace. God, we're not tolerated in our sin. We're washed clean and we're made new. But Jesus, we want to be mindful of the high, high cost, the high price that you paid to get us back. And God, we want to commit again to be set apart for you, to live lives that are consistently dependent on you. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd help each one of us to to navigate this tension of being blessed as the poor in spirit, but walking as co-heirs of Christ and, and stewarding the glorious riches of our inheritance in him. Holy Spirit, help us understand what that looks like. Show us what that needs to look like. Show us where things need to change in order for us to walk in those things more fully.